Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Certainly grateful for our sanctuary choir sharing us the gospel through music and glad that you're here to worship with us this evening. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Itterberg, one of our pastors, and you're coming here on Christmas Eve, but not just on Christmas Eve, it's also the final this final sermon in a series that we've been going through all through the season of Advent. Advent is the four weekends leading up to Christmas, and the series that we've been in is called Much Abundance in a Time of Scarcity. And I don't know if you've been experiencing any of the supply chain issues, if you had problems getting anything that you needed this Christmas. I recently heard of another product that there's apparently a scarcity of, cream cheese. It's a problem. So much so that Junior's favorite, famous cheesecakes shut down all production. They couldn't secure enough cream cheese, so they just stopped. And a couple weeks ago, the Philadelphia brand of cream cheese offered to pay 10,000 people up to $20 each for if they went and made or bought a dessert that didn't include cream cheese. Like, this is the state of cream cheese in the world today. And so I just have to confess to you that we have a few bricks in our fridge at home. And, you know, I had to get that off of my chest. We're not hoarding, I promise. I don't think. (laughs) But Christmas, you know, is so often not just about a scarcity of products, though we're experiencing that year, that this year, Christmas often reveals in us, I think, a scarcity of internal resources. We experience a scarcity within ourselves, a lack of inner resources that we don't have enough We don't have enough in the tank to keep moving forward, to take another step, to get everything done that needs to get done. We don't have enough to give to everyone everything that we want to give them. And I'm not just talking about enough money. talking about enough time, enough patience, enough attentiveness, enough love, whatever it is. We just don't feel like we have enough. We want to give even more. And so we often find ourselves trying to just get through this Christmas season, trying to endure it, rather than embracing it, experiencing all that it promises for us. And it's kind of like the woman that I spoke to at BJ's yesterday. She just was so relieved that it's almost over. And so in this series, we're asking ourselves this question. Is it possible to experience a different Christmas? Is it possible? that this could be different this year than other years? Is it possible to not just get through it and find ourselves spent and empty at the end, but is it possible to be filled up and filled up to the point of abundance where we are overflowing, where we have more than enough to give to others and more than enough to sustain us well beyond just the high of the next couple Christmas days? So each week we've been looking at how the, in the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, there is an abundance. There is much. There's an abundance of hope, of faith, of joy, of peace. And so if you find yourself lacking any of those inner resources, I would encourage you to go back and listen to one of those messages, but even more so, 
Seek the God who wants to give you those things this Christmas. You can find those if you're interested in our podcast or our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ. But this evening, we're moving forward, and we're talking about love. And I heard a story the other day about a woman who went to um, fill her car with gas. And I don't know about you, but this is the time of year where I love living in New Jersey, where, like, I'm not even allowed to get out of the car to fill my gas. Like, hey, sorry, can you fill it up? Window up. Stay warm. Like, so she asked the attendant, fill it up. And sure enough, so they went out and they started filling it up and, you know, things were going fine. And you know how when your car gets full, you hear that ka-chunk sound where the pump automatically stops? Well, she did not hear the ka-chunk. It just kept going. And it kept going because it didn't automatically stop. And the gas was now filling her tank and overflowing her tank and pouring out all down the side of her car onto the ground until the attendant finally realized what was going on, ran over, and stopped it. And I wonder this evening, if you were a tank, if you were not a gas tank, but if you were a tank that could contain love, how full would you be? Would you be full to overflowing like that woman's gas tank? Or would you be half full? Is the light on, but you can still see you've got some miles to go, or are you just running on fumes at this point? That's the question leading us into our scripture reading for the evening, and it's from 1 John chapter 4. I invite you to follow along on the screen if you'd like. We hear God's word for us this Christmas Eve. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather to to celebrate. We thank you for the Christmas season, which invites us to pause and reflect on what you have done in the world, what you've done for us. And so we invite you in this time, Holy Spirit, to be the one leading us, that this time would be more than just tradition and sentiment, but that there would be an encounter with you, you teaching us, and even more so than teaching us, filling us to overflowing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been in a church at Christmas time or if you have watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you know that the passage I just read is not the Christmas story. And you may find yourself wondering, what's the deal? Where's Mary and Joseph? What about the donkey ride to Bethlehem? What about putting the baby in the food trough and the angels singing and the shepherds in the field? Where are they? And those are good questions. And that, that's the Christmas story, and that's what happened. That's the what of Christmas. And this passage that we read doesn't tell us the what of Christmas, but it does tell us the why. Why did Christmas happen? Why did Christmas happen in the first place? And you may have figured it out because John's pretty subtle. In just those six verses that we read, he used the word love 13 times. 
And if you ex- extend that out to verse 21, nine more verses, it gets up to 23 times. He's clearly all about love. John is emphasizing that Christmas is all about love. And you may be going, well, yeah, that's nothing new. I already knew that. We all know that, don't we? Because so many songs tell us so. So many of the Christmas movies that are out there tell us that Christmas is all about love. Matter of fact, Hallmark has mastered, haven't they? They've mastered making sure that love wins the day out of disaster and chaos in just the last 10 minutes. I have a friend who's seen every Hallmark Christmas movie there is, and she promises me that you can set your timer to when that final kiss is going to happen, which seals the deal that love has, in fact, won the day. And so we know Christmas is all about love. But we shouldn't take it for granted. As a matter of fact, John is inviting us to consider not just take it for granted that Christmas is about love, because he wants to tell us and show us something that is unique and profound about love. Specifically, that love finds not just its source, that it comes from God, but it comes from him because he is love. That's what he said in verse 8. God is love. And again, you might be thinking, well, yeah, of course he is. And you think that perhaps because that is our common notion in America. If you, if you surveyed people about the character traits of God, love would probably be one of the first ones that would come up. But we can't appreciate how unique this claim really is and how historically it's unique, and it's also unique among systems and faiths in the world. A lot of people just want to say all the faiths are the same, but they're just not at the end of the day. You think about it, Judaism, Judaism was absolutely clear that God is, is a holy and awesome God. And they understood in Jesus' day he was born into Judaism that God had lovingly chosen them to have a unique relationship with God and to show the world what he's like. But when it came to the other nations of the world, there was some doubt. There was some question of how he felt about the rest of the world. You think about Islam. And Islam is absolutely clear that God is the Almighty and the one that is worthy of obedience, that's worthy of submission, of surrender. But it's not because he loves us. It's because he's almighty and worthy of being feared and pu- because of punishment. You think about Buddhism, Confucianism. Right? They, they, don't, they don't even have a, a personal understanding of a God at all. And in, in Buddhism, they, they raise up wonderful acts of compassion and kindness, and there's some amazing people living beautiful lives following these principles. But... Buddhism also says that love is one of the passions that we need to empty ourselves of, that we actually need to get rid of and overcome in order to be truly free. And of course, there's a huge growing segment in our population that just rejects the idea of God at all, and so certainly doesn't believe that God is a loving God by definition. And so where does this idea come from? Where does this idea that we seem to carry together that God is loving, that he is love? It comes from right here. It comes from Christianity. It comes from this this place where John is trying to tell us something unique and profound about the nature of God himself and the nature of love in this passage. He tells us that God is love. And in this passage, he alludes to what's historically known as the Trinity, you may have heard of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
In this passage, we see the Father sends the Son. Just outside of this passage, we see the Spirit at work. And this, is, this understanding historically is that God is in fact three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one being. Three persons, one essence, one substance. This is God. And what that means for us is that if this is the nature of God, that God is three in one, then God in himself before all of creation and all time lived and existed within community, within relationship, within himself, within loving relationship with himself. Now, I got to acknowledge that this, is, this kind of bends our brains a little bit. And there's a mystery here of three in one. But actually, it seems very appropriate there's a mystery here. Because man, love is a mystery, isn't it? I mean, some of you fell in love with the person near you, and now you look at them and I don't know what happened. I, don't, I can't really explain it. It's a mystery to me. Just don't look at each other. You know. <laughs> don't do that. But, but we kind of have this sense that there is a mystery to love. And that mystery might go back to the very nature of God himself, of three persons in one essence. This mystery that God exists in relationship, in loving relationship. As a matter of fact, St. Augustine early on in the church, 400 or so A.D., started to talk about God as the lover, the beloved, and the love bond between them, where the Father is the one who loves, is the lover, and he loves the Son who is the beloved, and the bond of love shared between them is the Holy Spirit that moves in and among them. This beautiful picture of the very nature of God, the God who is love. I mean, this is, This is amazing. And so what it means for us is that if he existed in love before he made anything, it means he didn't make you or anything else because he needed somebody to love. He wasn't needy like that. He made you and made everything that exists out of an overflow of love. He didn't make you in order to love you. He made you because he is loving. And so he is the source of all love. And John is trying to convince us and those that he was writing to, about the very nature of love, trying to convince us that it is unique. There's something significant and something different. And I think he was trying to convince the people he was writing to, and I think he's still trying to convince us today, because if we look at our lives, if we look at the world we're living in, and if we take an honest assessment, how full of love are we? There seems to be a real scarcity of love in the world. There's a real lack and I think there's a, a lot of reasons for that. I just want to offer you a few this evening for our consideration. But I think one of the reasons that there is a lack of love in our world today is because we so often confuse the feeling of love with the essence of love. That feeling of love, that feeling of warmth, of delight, of affection, that, we, that is amazing. Those butterflies that we get in the stomach when we feel love toward another person. And we start to think, that's what love is all about. But the problem, we know very clearly, if that's what love is, if it's just about that feeling, feelings are deceiving, aren't they? Feelings can, can really confuse us. Matter of fact, if you think about the Christmas Carol, that a great story by Charles Dickens, so many different versions of it. I may prefer the Muppet version, but you can prefer whatever you want. Where you get Scrooge. And early on in the story, he's visited by his old partner, Jacob Marley, the ghost of Jacob Marley. And we're told that he is disturbed by this. He's afraid to the very marrow of his bones. And yet, Marley says to him, you don't believe in me, do you? No, I don't. 
Why do, why do you doubt your senses? Marley asks him. And Scrooge says, well, because. Because a, a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. And this Scrooge is expressing that I mean, the senses can be fooled. The feelings, the feelings that we have can deceive us and fool us. And one day we can feel one way. The next day we can feel completely differently. And it can be affected by all of the circumstances around us in our lives. If things seem to be going well, we seem to feel more loving toward the people around us. If things aren't going bad and we're stressed out and we're all a mess, funny, we don't feel quite as loving toward other people. And if we feel sick, we don't feel very loving toward people. But if we're healthy and strong and have a good outlook, it's, see, feelings come and go. And if this is what love is, if love at the essence is about this feeling that we have toward one another, then man, love is completely fickle, unpredictable, and fleeting. We will never have it, and it will never last. It will always leave us empty. Because this feeling... It comes and it goes. Anybody who's been married more than two minutes knows that the feelings come and they go. And yet, I'm sure you've heard it. After it was too late and the relationship was done, the reason that it was over, we just didn't love each other anymore. What does it mean? We just didn't love each other anymore. We just didn't feel those feelings that we had early on. We didn't feel the warmth and the affection and the butterflies and the delight with one another. You know, yeah, it came and it went and it came and it went. Over time. It just, it, it left and it never came back. And it, we couldn't seem to get it back. And so rather than continuing to wait and hang on and fight and work, nah, we stopped. I mean, another problem with love is, is this feeling. Love can so quickly become self-seeking. Because we want that feeling. It feels great to love and be loved by someone, doesn't it? We enjoy it. And so the problem is, if that's what love is all about, we can go after the feeling and not the person. We can love the feeling and not the people. Then we, unfortunately, quickly, can, it can turn into a transactional relationship where really it's, we're using one another. As long as you make me feel this way and I make you feel that way, then we're in this thing and we, we're loving each other. It's good. But when, when we're not, when we're not happy... Ah, we're done. And, it, and it's really not about self-giving, of loving the other. It's really about getting what it is that I want for myself. And that's not love. That leaves us empty and lacking. And another way that we lack love is we often only love those who will reciprocate it. Those who, who will give it back to us. We'll invest ourselves. We'll love another if we're confident that what we invest, well, the return on our investment will be solid, so we'll take the risk. It's kind of crass to think of it that way, isn't it? Again, to kind of break it down in transactional terms. Yeah, but if we're honest about, if we're honest about it, who are you loving? Are you loving those who reciprocate it, or are you loving even those who don't? who can't, who won't. See, often when we think about love as only being worthy of giving to those who are reciprocating, it means we start loving only those people who are like us, who think like us, act like us, look like us, behave like us, vote like us, are interested in things like we're interested in, who are in our same class and status. 
Because in those situations, we can count on something to come back. We can count on an affirmation in return. We can count on our love being reciprocated in return. And so when we're honest about it, who are you loving? See, Jesus, Jesus even says very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, he says, if you love those who love you, man, what, re- what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? In other words, Jesus is saying, aren't the lowest dirtbags of society even willing to love the lowest dirtbags of society if they know that I'll scratch your back and you scratch my back? That's what he's saying about the ta- with the tax collector reference. And so if we're loving only those who will love us, then it's not really love in the first place. It's about reciprocation. We find ourselves empty, especially when it's not reciprocated and we expect it to be. I think another reason we have a, a scarcity of love in our lives is because many of us have learned that love has to be earned. Some of you learned this when you were li- really little, growing up in your home, that you received love only if you acted a certain way, only if you didn't do certain things and did other things. If you lived up to this standard or that, and that standard, then you were worthy of love and you received it. But if you didn't, it was wrong. It was hard. Some of you may not have even ever heard your mom or dad tell you that they love you. That happens. Some of you are shocked that that could be possible. Some of you have heard it so many times, but when you look at the actions that accompanied the words, there was a huge disconnect. You're not sure exactly how to reconcile it. Some have learned, and and this can't help but to leave an impression on us, and we carry this into every relationship of our lives. We carry it to our relationship with God and with other people, where we start to buy into this reality that, no, I've got to earn it. I'm only lovable if I'm worthy, if I perform a certain way. I mean, it's heartbreaking to sit with 50, 60, 70-year-olds who are desperately trying to earn the love of their father who's been gone for years. It leaves a mark. It leaves a lack, a scarcity of love. The, the last reason I'll share with you this evening, I'm sure there's probably others, but the last reason that we have a lack of love, I think, in our lives is that it costs us. It costs us quite a bit. It costs something to love another person, doesn't it? I think the the reality is it costs and we're not sure that we're going to be able to pay the bills because we know that to love someone demands things. It demands our vulnerability. It demands our self-disclosure. It demands our time. It demands our attention. It demands eventually, specifically if if you're pursuing a romantic relationship, an exclusivity where you have to choose. You can't have one and the other. There's a cost associated with continuing to deepen the relationship. As a matter of fact, the deeper the relationship is, the more it costs, the higher the risk, the greater the vulnerability. And I think the reality is we're afraid that we don't have enough to give. That we view ourselves as a tank. That we've only got so much love inside. And if I keep going deeper and deeper, I'm going to run out. I'm going to have nothing left to give. So i got to protect myself. And i got to start to become choosy as to who I'll love. Who's worthy of it. And man, when we start choosing who we're going to love, it just makes us stingy. And it, I mean, if the Scrooge story doesn't teach us anything else, man, a stingy heart is just a withered heart. With not much love to give. And John is saying... Hey, 
look, love is different than that. Than all those other things that we seem to attach to love. Love is something profoundly different. God actually is revealing to us what love is really about. Specifically, it begins with love is this. God pursues us. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about love because God pursues us. Right? Don't you want someone to pursue you? Don't you want the people in your life that you care about, you respect, that you love, that you value their opinion, don't you want them to pursue you and want to be with you? I mean, this is so core to our human longing that there's been song after song after song and story after story with this exact theme. I'll just give you one. There's the 1987 song by the Proclaimers, I'm Gonna Be. And you may not know the title, you may not know the group, but you probably know the refrain. I will walk 500 miles and I will walk 500 more just to be the man who walked 1,000 miles to fall down at your door. I mean, this song is expressing that core thing that this is what it looks like. Love looks like being pursued. And if I have to go 500 miles to let you know that you are valuable, you are worthy, that I love you, I will go 500 miles. Oh, that's not enough? I'll go 500 more miles and I will pursue you. If that's not enough, I'll go as far as I have to go. And if I collapse exhausted at your door, it's worth it because that's how much I love you. Don't you want to be pursued like that? Someone relentlessly pursuing you because they want you that badly? This is what Christmas was about. This is a, God pursuing us, pursuing humanity. John says the, that God, this is love, that the Father, God, sent the, his one and only Son. That's Christmas in a nutshell. Sent his one and only Son. Pursued you through his one and only Son. The God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living outside of creation forever, goes from heaven and enters into earth. That's a long way. I've never been to heaven, but I think that's a long way to go. Makes 500 miles, 1,000 miles look like nothing. That the God of the universe would pursue you from heaven to earth because he wants to be with you. But that wasn't even enough. It wasn't just about coming to earth. John says this is, this is love, that he said God sent his one and only son to be an atoning sacrifice for your sin. What is he getting at? Well, he sent his son not just to be a cute, cuddly baby in a manger, which is often our picture of Christmas, but to become a sacrifice. And we know what a sacrifice is. It means he's going to die. But it's a particular kind of sacrifice. It was a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice, is to eliminate the anger and the wrath of God that he has towards us. And you may be going, wait a second, I thought God is love. What's all this anger and wrath stuff? That doesn't make any sense. Actually, I it's really two sides of the same coin, if, and you know this in your own relationships. If you think about the people in your life that you care about, the relationships that you have, what happens every time they harm you? What happens every time they snub you? What happens every time they say something against you? What happens when they abandon you? They leave you. They forsake you. They break your trust. Well, it hurts, and you get angry, don't you? And, and your anger is justified. Your anger is justified in those moments because you had this relationship that you value. And so you get angry as a result of the harm that's been done to you. And the thing is, God does the same. God, God looks at us and he says, well, you, you continue to turn your back on me. You continue to abandon me. You continue to tell me off. Because we do. We say to God, 
and not explicitly, but the way we live often is like, okay, God, you know what? I don't really want to spend the day with you. I don't want to spend time with you. I don't want, you know, I want to do my life on my terms, the way I want it, how I want it, when I want it. And you seem to always be trying to rain on my parade. So I'm going to do this thing over here. See you later, maybe when I die. And so all the while we're, we're telling God, I don't want you. But God is saying, and I want you. That's why I pursued you. So in the hurt, in the anger that comes with the broken relationship, what happens? God is saying, yeah, yeah, I want to fix it. I want to mend the break. I want to take away the anger. Because here's the thing. It always costs something to fix a relationship, doesn't it? Think about every relationship you've ever had. If somebody's done something against you, that relationship doesn't really heal if you continue to hold it against them, do you? does it? But the only way you don't hold it against them is you've got to let it go. It costs you something to be the one to forgive. And God's saying, our relationship is broken. You keep rejecting me, and yet I want to bear the cost of fixing it and healing it. And that's what Jesus, his sacrifice then on the cross becomes the way that God's anger is is taken away and the relationship that you were made to have with God is healed so that you could be known by God and still loved by God. And so what this means is no matter how far you've run from God, no matter how bad your past, no matter how bad your present, your relationship with God can still be healed because Jesus came to be the sacrifice for your sin. But it didn't stop there. This is love that God pursued you at Christmas so that he could be the sacrifice that would heal the broken relationship, but not just heal the relationship, give you a a glorious relationship forever. This is love, John says. That he sent his son so you would have life in him. And when John talks about life, in this letter and in the gospel of John, he's not talking about your physical life. He's not talking about how you can, you know, eat and and breathe and talk and walk and, you know, just our physical existence. He's talking about an eternal life that is not just eternal in length, but eternal in its quality, meaning it has such a richness, a beauty, a glory, a splendor, that it is, you know, it's the culmination of all that we long for. It's filled with hope and grace and, and love. That's the kind of eternal life that is available in Jesus. And so you're, what that means is that you're intended to have eternal life here and now, not just someday when you die. As a matter of fact, John sums it up in chapter 17 of his gospel. He says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To live, to have life in him is to be known by him and still loved and to know him and to love him fully today all the way through eternity. That's what love really looks like. And don't we want, don't we desperately long to be loved like this? Someone who will sue us, who wants us, wants to be with us, will take on the cost of healing and mending the brokenness in the relationship that we have caused so that we can enjoy being loved and known forever, never to be left, never to be abandoned, never to be forsaken. That's the kind of love we desperately long for. And that's what Christmas was all about. Pursuing you. The baby to be a sacrifice, to heal the relationship, to bring you back to him. And when we have that love, when that love begins to fill us, it changes everything. 
It, can, it begins to transform us from the inside out. And actually, this is one of the places where the Christmas movies, I really do think, has it, has it right. So many of these movies are about this incredible transformation that one of the characters experiences because of the spirit of Christmas, right? Because of the love and joy of the season. You know, think about The Grinch, how The Grinch stole Christmas, one of my favorites. And, and I, I'm really partial to the, the Jim Carrey version of the movie, personally. But The, the Grinch is like the embodiment of, of hatred and bitterness, hardness, right? The, everything that is an, anti-Christmas and anti-love. One point in the Jim Carrey version of the movie, he goes up on Mount Crumpet, and he be, takes the phone book out so that he can alphabetically proclaim his hatred for the Who's. And so he starts with A, Ardvarkian Abakanezer, Who, I hate you. Aaron B. Benson, who? I hate you. And he keeps going and going. The hatred, the bitterness, just squeezing out of his entire being. And then what happens? Cindy Lou Who happens, doesn't she? This beautiful, innocent, loving child who looks at the Grinch, looks at the hardness and bitterness, looks right through it, and still loves him. And is willing to pursue him, even if that means risking her reputation, going up to the top of Mount Crumpet where this little girl has no business being. She will pursue him to the point where he understands that she sees him, she loves him anyway, and wants him. And what happens? He melts. That love begins to fill him up and transform him. And we're told his heart, what? Grew three sizes that day. And he had the strength of 10 Grinches plus two, right? The transformation was whole and complete because the love had filled him, overwhelmed him, and changed his entire being from the inside out. And that story is beautiful and wonderful and resonates with us, not just because it's a good story, but because it points to the great story, the ultimate story of history where God in his son pursues you. And we are the Grinch, full of bitterness and hatred and hard-heartedness and rejection and rebellion. And yet, he looks at you and he sees you and he loves you and wants you and is willing to heal the relationship, to pay the cost that we're not willing to pay. And man, when you get filled with that, it gets to start to transform everything gets to transform the relationships in your life where we no longer have to just love because we feel it, because we need something from someone else to make us feel good and secure and worthy and valuable. We already feel good and secure and worthy and valuable. So we can start to love people who won't even love us back. We can love our enemies as Jesus invites us, calls us, commands us to. We can love our neighbors even though they're not worthy of our love. You can begin to love the people who don't look like you, think like you, act like you, We can love radically and beautifully the way God has loved us. This is love. This is the story of Christmas. And hear the invitation. Allow the love of God to fill you, to overflowing so that there is an abundance, more than enough, for you to love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this crazy and incredible miracle of Christmas that you, the, the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit who didn't need anything and yet made us because you love us, 
that you would pursue us when we continue to reject you and run from you and turn our back on you, that you would bear the cost of repairing our relationship with you because you want us. Lord God, may that profound truth melt our hearts, melt the bitterness and the hardness and the the rebellion. May it draw us to you that we can truly know you and love you and be known by you and experience your abundant and overwhelming love for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we trust and we pray. Amen.